Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our associate and student pastor, Matt Willingham. I want you to take out your worship gods this morning as we continue the series that we've been in uh, about questions God asked. We're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 37. We're going to go to the Old Testament. So good to see some of you I hear this one. I want to welcome all of our locations as well. North Judson, Hebron, uh, Wanata, MPH, Westville, Full Throttle. Come on, put your hands together. Let them know you're awake. Watch it in your living room, wherever you're at. So good to see all of you today. Ezekiel chapter 37. That's where we're going to go as we're in this series, Questions God Asked. We're going to look at a question that he asked the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel has a vision. God gives him a dream, shows him something going on. Ezekiel chapter 37, we're going to read verse 1 through 3 to get us started. It says, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out. This is Ezekiel talking about his experience. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Now, I want you to circle the question. Here's the question we're going to look at today. And he asked me, God asked Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? God, I thank you, Lord, today for your grace and mercy. God, thank you, Lord, for this time together. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds to what it is you want to say to us today. God, what it is we came in with this morning, God, at whatever location, God, whether we're watching online, God, I just pray, Lord, that they would not hear my voice, but, God, they would hear you speaking today, Lord, that you would challenge and change every one of us in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, everybody, say amen. 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 Can these bones live? The title of my message this morning I want to talk to you is about good news from the graveyard. Good news from the graveyard. Can these bones live? What a sight this must have been. What a vision this must have been for Ezekiel. Thousands of bones scattered across this vast, va- this vast valley. Nothing but death for miles. Nothing but destruction. Now, now, we know theologically speaking, as we study our text, we know that this valley and these, and these bones that are scattered represents the nation of Israel. And God was showing Ezekiel what was happening and what was going on with the nation of Israel, the whole house of Israel that was then, at this time of this vision, held in captivity. They they found themselves scattered. They found themselves wounded. They found themselves hopeless in this this situation. The surviving Israelites that had just been taken over, they feel like their national hopes had been dashed. Israel had died in the attack and the flames of Babylon's attack, and now they find themselves in captivity, and they have no hope of resurrection. They have no hope of a future. They have no hope of what can be anything different and other than what they currently see. And, and I think for you and I, isn't that crazy how it goes in life, how important hope is? That the moment we lose hope, The moment we lose those moments, the moment all hope is gone, things are cut off in our life. We find ourselves in a very unresponsive state. 
we find ourselves in a very um, sad state. Um, one person, they, they, they defined hope as this. I love this definition. They said that hope is the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. Hope. Everybody say hope. Another person penned it like this, that hope is the belief that our future can be better than our past and that we have a role in playing and making that future a reality. Hope. Everybody say hope. Hope is something that is so powerful when it's present and so deflating when gone. Uh, what I love about March Madness is the moments of hope you see, right? The basketball tournament that we're, I don't know if you're a big basketball fan. There's nothing greater than the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of March Madness. So many high hopes that are then dashed quickly for the low hopes. Saturday night, being the good small group leader that I am and the great man of God, my Kentucky Wildcats were playing. But a lot of my people in my small group are Purdue fans. So as a nice person would do, I kept the Purdue game on the TV for them only to watch their hopes dissipate very quickly. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> I was cheering for Purdue, only to watch their help. And needless to say, when the game was over, there was nothing spiritual in the room left. We did not have a Bible discussion at all. Why? Because hope had left the room. And you and I, we can find ourselves in moments like that. Have you ever felt like there was no hope? Have you ever felt like you were hopeless, like you were lost? You looked at a situation and you looked at it and you said, there's no way out. I'm trapped. I'm stuck. There's no way for me to get out of this. There was a security guard at a railroad. The story goes that he was working one night and he accidentally locked himself in a refrigeration car one night. As he was locking up, he finds himself checking all the cars. He goes into this refrigeration car and unmistakably the door shuts behind him and he was now locked in. No one was around. He began to bang on the walls, screaming for help. He began to clamor as much as he could, shake everything as, as, as much as he could, hoping he would get someone's attention, but to no avail, uh, he did not get anyone's attention. And so he realized quickly there's not much air in this refrigeration cart. Uh, it is going to start getting cold. There's not much time left. I'm probably going to freeze to death. So he thought in his mind, you know what? As my last act, I'm going to, I'm going to record this agonizing death for whoever is going to find my body in the morning. As time went on that evening, he felt his lungs begin to tighten a little bit. The refrigeration car that is cold, you know, as he began to get a little bit colder, he kind of made his way around the dark refrigeration car and found something sharp that he could just kind of carve on the side. And he wrote on the side, his first sentence that he wrote was, it is so cold in here, I can hardly stand it. And time went on. The evening progressed. The colder he got, right, the, the, the harder it became to breathe. He, he penned the next word. He says, my fingers are getting numb. And then later he wrote, I'm slowly freezing to death. And then ultimately, one of the last sentences that he wrote on the car, he said, these are probably my last words. And sure enough, as night progressed and as morning came, his body was found in the next morning, slumped in a corner of the car, and he was dead. And the coroner scratched his head and mystery because as he had a great difficulty determining what was the cause of death because he, he determined that there was sufficient, sufficient ventilation in the car that it would have allowed the man to survive for days. And since the refrigeration apparatus had broke down and not even been working, that the coldest the car had ever gotten during the middle of that night was roughly 52 degrees. 
And what the cause of death come to determine is there was no way this man could have froze to death. There was no way this man could have suffocated to death. Simply what has happened, the man ended up dying because he lost all hope. He saw no way out. He saw nothing changing in his own life. And I don't know about you and I, have you ever found yourself in life feeling just like that? You feel like you're running to and from and you're dry and you're burning out. No, usually we notice it right away. We notice when things are stressful. We notice when things in our life are chaotic. But what do we do? We fill our life with more stuff and we put things on the calendar. And so we just go more and we do more and we go here and we do here. We go back and forth from one appointment to the next, from one thing to the other. Our life gets busier and busier. And what happens? Our tempers get shorter and shorter. The pressure begins to mount more and more. Everything becomes a blur. Then my marriage is strained. Then my family is strained. Other relationships are strained. My work life is strained. I come home and I'm strained and I finally find Finally, and I constantly feel myself just under this pressure. I don't even feel like reading the Bible and praying. But when I do read the Bible and praying, it seems as if I'm doing more complaining than I am doing anything else. And I find myself just feeling like I'm just exhausted, like I'm 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 I'm, I'm scattered, and I find myself feeling so dry. I find myself feeling as if there is nothing that can change. You ever been there? There is no hope. The situation won't get better. My marriage won't be restored. My family will never be whole. I will never be able to forgive this person for what they did. That's what the nation of Israel was feeling. This is how God's people, this is the vision he showed Ezekiel. The nation of Israel, they're foreigners, they're they're captive in a land because they rejected God repeatedly, and, and now they have found themselves hundreds of miles away from home. The beautiful city of Jerusalem is now a pile of junk. This beautiful tower, the temple, this beautiful temple that towered over everything is now a total wreck. All hope is lost. All hope is gone. They were dried up. Things seemed all over, and they wondered, will things ever get good? again. And I wonder for you and I, are we a people of no hope when those things come and happen in our life? Are are we a people that it seems that things mount up and we feel so scattered and we feel so stressed and we feel so worrisome and we find ourselves feeling so dry spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and and when the odds seem to be going against me, what do we do? What is our response? Do we just cower down and give up? Do we just see the so-called handwriting on the wall and take it for what it is worth and accept the fact that there's nothing that we can do and we quit? And if we're not careful too often, we can find ourselves just like that. And in those moments of circumstances and situations that need that seem insurmountable, that seem like they won't change, that seem like there is no hope, too often we can let our dreams and our realities become a pile of these dead, very dry bones lifeless. See, here's the problem with dry bones, though. Can I talk to you about the the problem with dry bones? If I could take you back to our text, Ezekiel chapter 37, the Lord shows Ezekiel this vision. It says, the hand of the Lord was on me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full. Everybody circle that under your notes or circle it in your Bible. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. I saw a great, come on, circle this, Many bones. Everybody say many. Many bones. On the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. Underline or circle that whole thing. The floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? 
The problem with, with these bones in my own life, the problem with dry bones is I know one thing. Oftentimes, there are many dry bones in my life. Come on, talk to me this morning. I'm not just, just going to preach myself. There are many dry bones. There are many things that I face. Because here's the deal. I'm good with one situation at a time. Can anybody handle one situation at a time other than me? I can handle that. Right, give me one problem. I got this. Boom. Got it solved. Next thing, let's go on. I'm good with one email from the principal. I can handle one email from the principal, y'all. No big deal. Right? I can handle one bill being due. I can handle uh, one deadline needing to be met. I can handle one person getting on my nerves, y'all. I can handle that. It happens. Right? EGRs, extra grace required. They just need some extra grace today. Let them, give them some extra grace, Pastor. Like I can handle one person, but this is the problem that I've come to understand in my own life, right? Life doesn't give you one thing at a time. Anybody else ever woke up other than me and, and you experienced many quickly? It's not one email, it's three emails and a phone call, right? It's not one bill due, it's four or five bills due. It's, it's not one person getting on your nerves. You got, have to go to school and walk down the hallway and see many people that get on your nerves. You go to the office and you see, not here, I work with great people, but you go to work, right, and, and you see many people that, that really stress you out and, and try you, right? And, and if we're not careful, we will find ourselves being just like this. It's not that I have one circumstance or situation that seems overwhelming, that makes me feel like there's no hope. It's when I look out and I see the many. It's when I look out and I see the multitudes of circumstances. It's when I look out and I see the many situations that I face. I see the many doctor visits. I see the many things on my calendar that, that can cause me stress. I see the many instances in my family. And the problem is, is that most of the times we get discouraged and weighed down because of the multitudes of our problems. But the good news for you and I is that the multitudes of our problems do not hinder the power of God. The multitudes of our problems do not overwhelm our Heavenly Father. The multitudes of our problems do not stress him out. He does not look down and say, oh, Matt, you got a lot of stuff going on today. I don't know if I can handle that. No, the multitudes of my problems do not hinder the magnitude that God can move in my life because I've got a powerful God. I've got an all-knowing God. I've got a God that has resources beyond my measure. I've got a God that can meet my needs according to his riches. He supplies my needs mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that even when I look out and I see many bones, God said, I can meet all of those areas of your life. I can be with you on Monday. I can be with you on Wednesday. I can show up on Friday. I can be with you when you walk down the hallway at your school. I can be with you when you go into work. There is no thing that is too big for God. The many does not bother him. It bothers me, but it does not bother him. That there is no multitude that scares him away. I prophesy to you this morning that whatever it is you're facing, that God is bigger than what you're see, looking at. God is bigger than those many problems. But, but not only, watch this, but it doesn't just stop there. Not only are the bones often many, the Bible shows us in this valley that the bones were very dry. The bones, the bones were very dry, meaning what? Meaning they had been sitting out there for a while. They had been baked by the sun in his vision. I, I can trust God when it's been about a, two weeks and I've been praying for something to do and I, I don't get overwhelmed. But when it's been about six months and I've been praying and it hadn't happened yet, I start getting stressed out. Don't look at me like y'all are saved. Y'all don't do that. When, when, it's, um, when it's a year and I'm still praying, 
when, when it's a year and, and I'm waiting. Th- these bones are not only many, they're not vast. The Bible says that they are, they're dry. And they're, and they're not just dry. The Bible says what? They are what? Very dry. It means that they've been dry for so long, there isn't any resemblance of what it used to be when they were alive. Some of you have been going through something so long, you're like, I don't even know what joy looks like anymore, Pastor Matt. It's been that long since I've had joy in my life. I don't even know what forgiveness looks like anymore because I've been holding this grudge for so long. Dry. I I don't know what opening up the Bible and having God speak to me through his word is because it's been a minute since I've opened up his word. They've been dry for so long. That word, when you look at the word dry in Hebrew, it's really a word that simply means this, ashamed and confused. And this is what the enemy is good at. He puts us in a place of life where we look out and we see the many issues. We see the many things going on in our life, but then we become dry. We become ashamed of what we're going through. We become confused about what we're experiencing. Maybe it's a condition of our sinfulness that's the dry bones. Maybe it's this a state of, of, of oppression in our life that the enemy has been using. Maybe it's this condition of great lack. We don't even know. We can't even quote, my God shall supply my needs according to his riches because it's been so long since I've seen him move in my life. Yeah, we, we can't even stand on the promise that by his stripes I am healed because I've been going to doctor's visits now for three years praying for this thing, Pastor Matt, and it still hasn't happened. I'm dry. I, I've been, I've been, we've been going to marriage counseling for two years, Pastor Matt, and it seems like our marriage isn't getting any better. I, I'm just, I'm dry. It's this condition of lack. We become ashamed, confused, a condition of hopelessness, a condition that's beyond our control sometimes. Maybe it's something that someone else did to us that, that, hurt, that hurt us. It's this, it's this dryness that we experience. Again, that, that whenever we experience the power of God, it's not limited, and he brings res- deliverance and restoration and solution, but, but yet we find ourselves in these moments experiencing not just even just the many, we're just dry. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how even to get back to where I used to be. I don't know even how to get back to that thought process. It's been so long. This habit has had me tied up for so long. I don't even remember what it's like to be living. And not only are these bones many, not only are these bones in a valley, the Bible tells us, or that they're dry, the Bible tells us that they're in a valley. This valley. That the David would write in Psalms chapter 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What's the problem with the valley is a lot of times in the valley, you find yourself encompassed and you find yourself surrounded by all of these hilltops and these mountaintops. And so what a valley does, it limits your perspective and it limits the scope of what you cannot see because you cannot see beyond the ridges of the mountains. You cannot see beyond the height of the issues of the problem. All you can see is just death and destruction. And we find ourselves surrounded sometimes in life, this valley. And that's why the enemy loves to keep us in the valley because he knows if he keeps us there, we can, our, our view and our scope of things cannot be what God says we can be. And I wonder for us this morning, when is the last time maybe you walked in this morning at one of our locations? Maybe you're at North Judson, maybe you're at Hebron at, at Full Throttle, but, but when is the last time you faced something that, that appeared to be an impossible obstacle? Maybe you're going through it right now. Maybe you came in today, you're like, everything's good in my life. Cool, I'm glad it is. But I know one thing, an obstacle, obstacle will be coming in your life. But, but I wonder, when's the last time we faced that? And then here's my second question that he asked Ezekiel. I think it's a great question. How do you bring to life 
Something that's obviously dead. How do you make something to life that is obviously non-existent? He looks at Ezekiel. He says, Ezekiel, he says, son of man, can these bones live? And I, and I love Ezekiel's response. He says, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. I mean, you're the only one that knows the answer to that, to that question. Some, some people think it's, a, it's an answer that he gives as escapes go, as a, you know, just trying to say the right thing. But, but I think that Ezekiel's response is a sign of wonder and trust. That, that he, that he was basically saying this, Lord, I may not have the answer to this question, but I trust that you know. God, God I, know, I know what I see. I look out and I see valley of dry bones, scattered, many, roasted by the sun in a valley. There's no, there's no scope. There's no view that they can see anything else. And, and so, God, I know what I see, but, God, only, only you know what can happen to these. And Ezekiel immediately puts the pressure back on God. He immediately puts the responsibility back where it really should be in the first place. Only you know, Lord. He knows, Ezekiel knows that the, full, the fulfillment depended upon not what Ezekiel said, but on what God said about the situation. Not what on, on he saw about the circumstance, but on what God saw about the circumstances. So I appreciate the honesty in what Ezekiel says. I even hear and I can come to grip with the uncertainty that he said it with. I sense his, his feeling. You can probably sense it as well. His feeling of powerlessness that, listen, I'm just staring out at a valley of dry bones that are scattered. I, I picture him looking around, shaking his head at this overwhelming enormity of it all, thinking like, I don't know what in the world I'm even looking at. God only knows if this is going to live again. You and I understand because some of us are in that this morning. We've walked in. I don't, I don't know. I know what I see. I, 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 know, I know what I'm experiencing. I, I know what the reality is of culture around me. And God, I just I'll, only you know what is going to come out of this. And if we're not careful, though, we, we stop at the problem with the bones and we don't begin to do what God has called us to do. Can I talk to you about the prophecy to the bone? Because Ezekiel sees the problem. He sees the dry bones. The Lord shows him to this, but he doesn't just stop there. You're going to see the change in his life. He be, there's this prophecy. He says, I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, this is God now talking back to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, watch what he says, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Underline that. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. The problem that he faces. The problems that is real. The problems that we face that are real. But watch what he does. He begins to prophesy to the bones. That's such a Churchy word, prophesy, right? That's a biblical word, prophet. And I, I don't know about you, often, what does it mean to prophesy? You know, you've, you've heard people say, I don't know if you've ever grown up in church, you've heard someone say like, hey, I, I prophesy to you, this is what the Lord says. Or hey, I prophesy over our church, this is what the Lord, like, they're like those are prophetic moments. And a lot of times we think it's like something that only a select few can be. But really, and I don't mean to make this theologically incoherent or theologically dumb it down too much, but really when you understand what prophecy is, prophecy is simply just to speak under inspiration. That's what prophecy is. 
Now, in the church setting, in a biblical setting, prophecy is oftentimes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We have a prophetic word. The Holy Spirit wants to say something to our church. We have a pro- somebody has a prophetic word to you. That's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's just speaking to a situation, but it's speaking under an inspiration. But here's my question, because a lot of us sit here and go, well, man, I don't know how to prophesy. I've never prophesied in my life. Oh, no, you are, and you do. My question is, inspiration from what and who do you prophesy to? Oh, because trust me, we're all prophesying every day of our life. Some of, some of us prophesy under the inspiration of fear to our circumstances. Oh, I'm going to talk to you now. We prophesy to the, our, our life under the inspiration of fear. Oh, I don't know how this is going to happen. Oh, I don't know about if we're going to make it out of this one. I don't know if my kids are, are going to, I don't know if they're going to start acting right. I don't know if my marriage, I don't know if my father, I'm so, I'm so fearful and I don't, oh, we prophesy all right under the inspiration of fear. Some of us, we prophesy under the inspiration of worry. We just worry all the time. We wore out. Pastor Matt, it's just so crazy. It's 2023. Come on, Pastor Matt, you watch the news. People run to the bank, pulling money out. Trains are wrecking all over the place. We got balloons flying everywhere. Like nobody knows what's going on. I'm just so fearful. I'm so worryful. Come on, don't act like y'all. Y'all got a friend that's been doing that, I know. And if it's not them, it's you. Be honest. And you just, you just worrisome all the time. Proph- prophesying to your life with worry. We prophesy to our, our life out of fear, out of worry. Some of us, we prophesy to our circumstances out of doubt. I don't know if God can do this one. Oh, I know he showed up last time. I know he did a miracle last time. Oh, I know he moved last time and brought back life what seemed to be dead, but I don't know. We prophesy out of anxiety. We prophesy out of bitterness. I, I, I cannot forgive that person because you don't know what they did to me. I cannot let that go. You don't know how bad it hurt me. Oh, y'all are so quiet right now. Oh, we're prophesying okay. We prophesy under the inspiration all the time. We prophesy, what am I trying to say say to you this morning? We prophesy simply with what we say about our situations and our circumstances. And oftentimes how we prophesy in the natural is based upon what we see in the natural. Oftentimes what we speak out of our mouth is, and I'm talking to myself, is many times what I see with my own natural eyes. But look at what God says to Ezekiel. He says, I want you to look at the dry bones. Now watch this. Does he negate that the bones are dry? Does he negate that the bones are dry? Does he negate that they're in a valley? Does he negate that they're scattered? Does he negate that they're dead? Does he do any of that? No. So watch, prophecy is not speaking to something and ignoring the reality. Prophecy is not looking at something and saying, ah, it doesn't really exist. He he looks at Ezekiel. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to look at these bones, and I want you to say this. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Don't hear what you see, but hear what the Lord says. Don't hear what culture is saying to you, but hear what the word of the Lord is saying to you. Don't say to your circumstances what you feel because your feelings might misdirect what you feel. But be able to look at your circumstances. Be able to look at those bones that seem lifeless. Be able to look at those bones that seem scattered. Be able to look at those bones of life that are dry and say, I know what I see. I know what I experience. I know what I'm going through. But bones, let me 
declare over you what the word of the Lord says. Let me declare over you who he says you're going to be. Let me declare over my marriage what God says about my marriage. Let me declare over my kids what he says about my kids. Let me declare over my city what God says about my city. And when I declare the word of the Lord, the Bible says it like this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. So when I step out and I begin to declare not what I am feeling, not what I am seeing, but oh God, what are you saying about this situation? Oh God, what are you saying about this circumstance? Oh God, what are you speaking over my life? My faith begins to get stirred. My faith begins to get moved and things begin to shift in my life. Don't prophesy what you see. Prophesy what he says. Don't prophesy what you feel. The, the, word, the word in Hebrew, the, the Hebrew word that means word is debar. It's a noun. As a noun, it, is, it, it refers to a word that means that something is spoken of over a matter. But as a verb, this is what he's saying, that I want you to prophesy to the word of the Lord. It's a verb. It, it, means, it means to arrange. It means to come into line. And some of us, the most powerful thing we can do in our own life is to begin to speak over our own life what the word of the Lord is and watch our life begin to line up with what he says. Watch our circumstances begin to shift. That's why the enemy wants to steal the word. That's why the enemy, come on, it could be 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can say, I need to read my Bible today. And you can open up that, that Bible, and you can feel like you need a two-hour nap. Why? Because the enemy wants to come and steal that word of God. Why? Because he knows where the word is. That's where faith is stirred. Where the word is, that's where revelation happens. Where the word is, that's where our focus begins to shift. Where the word is, that's where our circumstances begin to change. So when I begin begin to prophesy. I prophesy from divine instructions from my heavenly father. I begin to speak what God is speaking. I begin to respond the way God is responding because this is what I do know is that God is committed to his word. God is not a liar. God, he is committed to what he says. And if he said it, he's got the power to bring it to pass. If he spoke it over my life, as I begin to speak it over my life, he's going to see it all the way through. Prophesy to your situations and your circumstances. Don't negate the real condition. Don't, don't negate what it is that we're experiencing, but what? As we prophesy with our words, as we're justified, the Bible says, with the words of our mouth. Prophetically, we begin to reveal the power of God and his willingness to work in our life. Prophetically, we begin to reveal the, the power of God and his willingness to move in our situ situations and circumstances. And we begin to reveal that not only can God do all the things, but he is willing and able to do those things. Not only can he do it, but he is willing and he is able to do it. And it's not, watch this, it's not that God needs our permission, but he wants us to recognize his power. That's why he says you got to learn how to speak over your situation. It wasn't that if Ezekiel didn't say, like, could, could God make the bones move if Ezekiel didn't speak? Absolutely he could. I mean, he formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, so could he make some bones move? Of course God could. So it wasn't necessarily that God's like, Ezekiel, I need your permission to be able to do this miracle that I'm about to do for the nation of Israel. He says, so I need you to speak this. No, he, he was one in Ezekiel. Ezekiel was going to be used in his own life and to the nation of Israel to bring about hope and to bring about restoration. But, but he wanted Ezekiel to understand where the power was going to come from. So for you and I, again, it's understanding as we, as we, as we begin to speak over our life, as we begin to speak over our situations and our circumstances, it's understanding 
God, I'm opening my eyes up and the reality to who you are and that you're able and willing to do what you said you would do. Because watch, if there's no prophecy to the bones, we'll never see the next one, the progress of the bones. Some of you are stuck. Hear me this morning. Some of you are stuck, not because God is not powerful, not because God is not willing, not because God cannot sustain what he said he can sustain. It's, we're stuck because simply we're not speaking what he called us to speak. Because watch, the prophecy happens, and then in verse 7, so I prophesied as a command. He spoke the word of the Lord. He spoke what God he said, as I was prophesying, again, what is he saying? He's saying what God told him to say, not what he sees. As I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them. Skin covered them. But watch, but there was no breath in them. So watch the progress now. There's a problem. Ezekiel sees the problem. There's the, the prophecy, he begins to speak and declare what God says about the situation. And then when he begins to speak, he has this revelation. And now as he speaks is when the, the progress comes. Someone said it, I think it was someone else here, and it wasn't me. I won't take credit for it, but I, I wrote it down, I remember. And they said it like this, that revelation always brings about a responsibility in your life. Because this is what we will often do. God will show us something, and we won't do nothing about it whether it's our own life, whether it's something going on around us, whether it's something in our own family. God, God often gives us a revelation, right, in our own life in order to show us this is your response to this revelation. Like this is the part that you are going to play into moving this thing forward. Again, can he do it without us? Absolutely, 1,000%. Why he chooses to use us, I don't know, because I don't know about you, I'm a little hard-headed sometimes. I'm not fully obedient. Don't look at me like you are all the time either. I'm not, I'm not fully obedient. I don't, I don't forgive quickly sometimes. I don't let grudges go. Um, I, I have own things, own mentalities in my life that I like to hang on to as well. So I don't know about you. I don't know why he, he chooses to use me, but I know he does. And, and so what we have to understand is that we do play a part in this. And so he gives me this revelation. He see, allows me, this is what he did for Ezekiel. He allowed him to have this vision to see the dry bones, to see the devastation, to see the scattering, to see this vastness, to see the valley, all to show him you're going to play a part in doing what I want you to, and doing what I want to do with the nation of Israel. And it's the same way for you and I. It's oftentimes he will illuminate things in our life. He will bring revelation in our life to us, around us, but in order to show us all right, here's your response to what I just showed you. Like, um, anybody ever got, anybody got anything in your life right now and it just annoys you? Come on, raise your hand. It just annoys you. Not people. If you're sitting next to them, don't look them. I don't mean people that annoy you. Like, I mean a situation around, at work, at school, come on, situations that just annoy you, right? And like, and it's nagging and it won't, it won't stop. And it, and it just won't quit. It's just a situation that annoys you. And it's like, I don't know what to do about this annoyance. I don't know what to do about this situation. I don't know what to do about these circumstances. I don't know what to do about all this stuff. I feel like God is showing me stuff. I feel like I see stuff that other people don't see. It's just so annoying. Maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's annoying to you 
Because God's trying to show you that's going to be your assignment in life. Maybe something is bothering you so much right now and you're annoyed by it. And the reason you cannot let go of this annoying feeling is because you have not stepped into the assignment that God has placed you there for. I'll give you an analogy. I didn't do this in the first service. But it was years ago that I've been, I've been a youth pastor now. January started my 18th year in youth ministry. 18 years I've been a youth pastor. It's a long time to put up with teenagers, y'all. Y'all should clap with that. That's a long time to put up with teenagers. Your teenagers, too. Y'all know how they are. I got them. I got three of them. Right? I'm messing. I love students. But I remember several years in, every youth pastor meeting I would go to, people would just start talking about, can't get on school campuses. Can't be on schools. We could be on schools. Everybody else is on schools. Nobody else is on schools. Pastors can't be on schools. People can't be on schools. School needs faith. School needs, and like every, everything I went, it was just annoying, y'all. I just always wanted to slap them. Like, dude, you, you complain all the time. Just annoying. And like for a couple years, three or four years, everywhere I'd go, I would hear that annoying argument. Can't be on schools. We can't be on schools. We can't do anything to get on schools. Schools need us, but we can't get in schools. And it just annoyed me. So finally one day I woke up, and some of y'all know what we do in the schools now, and I had this revelation of like, here's a need in the schools. What if we could meet this need? And it's now been our assignment for about 15 years we go into school campuses. We helped uh, this past year. Well, you can clap for that. It's because we got amazing school campuses. We don't do Bible studies. We don't do any of that. We do character and leadership. Character and leadership. We just teach students how to be the best versions of themselves. We don't quote scripture. We don't preach Jesus. Can't do that. We get kicked out. We know all that stuff. Um, but, but, but in this past year, PJ and I and, and Pastor James down North Judson, we helped four other churches and four other communities in southern Indiana. They're now on six school campuses because of a network that we hooked them up with, right? It's an assignment that now, now watch, if I would have just let that something become annoying to me and not prayed about it and sought God's face and then, I, and then trusted him when he began to connect me with some important people that came important uh, in the process of what we did, I would have missed out on one of the greatest things that we do on our school campus. If you missed a business meeting, we shared that our youth ministry, we got a, a decent-sized youth ministry. It's pretty healthy, right? A lot of people look at it and say, man, it's awesome. I'm like, it could be bigger, and I, wish, and I pray that it is bigger. And, but we, we, we reach quadruple the size. We reach, I can't even get this out. We reach quadruple the amount of students that our youth ministry reaches on a Sunday night, quadruple the amount every week because we're on a school campus. That's an assignment, right? Now, look, I, I didn't share that in the first time, but I, want to, I just feel like I need to share that with some of you because some of you are getting so discouraged and you're letting this revelation that God has given you in your own life, maybe it's something in your own life personally, and you're like, but what? It's just annoying me. And God's trying to say, no, listen, I've, I've let you see this for a reason because you're going to have a responsibility in order to carry out what I want to do, whether it's in your school, whether it's in a job, whether it's in this city. And, and so as as Ezekiel began to prophesy, the progress began to happen. As he began to speak what the Lord told him to say, the progress began to happen. The, the this rattling happened, this, this sound. Maybe for you this morning, this sound is it's just your faith and it's your hope being restored, being, being rattled in your own life. Maybe for you this morning, you walked in here and you've been fearful and you've been worried and the sound by the Spirit of the Lord is beginning to now shake courage in your life. Maybe for you this morning, you walked in with just 
Things that have been weighing you down and habits and hurts and hangups that is not letting you go. And that rattling, that sound is chains that the Holy Spirit is going to break off on your life. I don't know what it is, but listen, without the prophecy, we'll never have the progress. He begins to speak over. He begins to look at him. Ezekiel, he, he obeyed the Lord as he was commanded. And out of his obedience, watch, out of his obedience, don't miss it this morning, out of his obedience, everything began to move. So this is what I know. It's important to understand this because I have to understand that after I have done the speaking is when God does the doing. And so what if, again, I'm stuck this morning, not because God cannot do it, but because I simply have not spoken. I have not declared over my situation. I have not declared over my circumstances what God says about what I'm going through. I've been telling myself my story. I've been telling myself the culture's story. I've been telling myself what other people say about my story, but am I telling myself what God says about my story. Am I prophesying? And then watch. The Bible says, come on, worship team. I gotta hurry. The Bible says we see the problem with the dry bones. And so Ezekiel begins to prophesy over the dry bones. Oh, I hope you're getting this this morning. I hope you've been prophesying right there in your seat. And so we see the progress happening, but there was a problem still with the bone. Matter of fact, go back. Let me read you the text again. In verse 7. Go back to that other slide, Chris. I know I'm throwing you off. Go back to verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. As I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling. Bones came together. Now we're all excited. Like, oh, snap. It's going down. Bones are moving. Bone to bone. Go ahead. Keep going. I looked and the tendons and the flesh. God's doing it. Tendon and the flesh is coming. Peers on them. Skin covered them. But what does it say? But there was no what? There was no breath in them. Can I talk to you about the power of the dry bones? Because Ezekiel just shows us in Ezekiel 37 and 5 and Ezekiel 37 and 7 and 8. The bones are brought back together. And watch, the bones are restored. The bodies are restored. But there is, the essence of life is still absent. Now watch, I read this. And I said, well, why didn't the breath of God come first? Well, if the breath would have come first, there was nothing to sustain it. It was just random bones. There was no flesh. There was no tendons. There was no joints. There was no marrow. There was no muscle. There there would have been nothing to sustain the life that the breath would have given it. It's a vision. I know I get this, but watch. This is how I unpack the word. So if the breath of God would have come Because there was no substance, it would have not sustained. That's why sometimes it's important. Listen, we can come in here and hear the word of God. We can get excited and like, yes, God, I claim it. Oh, God, I'm so so good. God, you, you are greater. You are bigger. And we can go right out there and we don't put substance to the breath that we just got. And that's why by Tuesday and Wednesday, we already feel defeated again. There's no substance to what we just received. There's no substance to to hold the breath. So watch. So so if the breath showed up first. It wouldn't have lasted because there was nothing to sustain it. However, now, though, there's substance and there's no breath. 
there's substance, there's bones, there's, jo- there's joints, there's, there's tendons, there's flesh, there's muscle. But we just read it. But there is no life. What, what, am I, what, what is he trying to show us is that just as important as substance is to sustain what God is doing in our life, hear me this morning, that if we're not careful, we can get all the stuff and the substance around us, the substance around us, and if we don't have the breath of God, I'm going to show you what the breath of God is in a minute. If we don't have the breath of God, watch this, we are nothing more than just spiritual dead corpses. We're like walking zombies with no life. And so we can come in, we can sit, oh, we got substance. I got the, got the flesh. Spiritually, I got the, I got the muscles. Spiritually, I got the tendons in my life. But the breath of God is not breathed upon me. The breath of God is not working in me. And we become like spiritually, like we're, we're spiritual walking zombies. Second Timothy says it like this. We, we have a form of godliness, but we deny the power of. So it looks good. I'm not scattered anymore, Pastor Matt. I'm not scattered. I don't have dry bones laying everywhere. I mean, I got my stuff together. You've seen my calendar. I know exactly where I need to be, where I need to be there. I know where to take my kids. I know where to go. Me and my wife, we got our date night scheduled every month. I, I do it on the clock. Like, we know how to go out. Like, I got everything. Boom, boom. It looks good. I come in. I can look good on Sundays. I know how to raise my left hand on the first song. I throw my right hand on the second song. Then I got them both. Like, it just looks good. I got it all together, but there is no life. There's nothing that is, there's no, there's no power. The Bible calls us spiritually dead, foolish, matter of fact, and hostile to God without the breath of God. What is the breath of God? It's the Holy Spirit working in our life. We can have tons of talent. You can have all the money in the bank. You can have it looking good. You can have your family always, uh, always perfect on Instagram. You, you can do everything perfectly. You can walk down the, the halls of your school, have on the best shoes, have a smile on your face, whatever it might be. You can do all of that stuff. But if you don't have the Spirit working in your life, he's about to show us. If you don't have the Spirit breathing on you daily, oh, you're just still dead. You're still powerless. There is no life without the Holy Spirit. And just like the bones, hear me this morning, could not live without the breath of God for us to succeed in our walk with the Lord. Oh, thank God that I can prophesy to my situations. Thank God that I can speak about my circumstances, what the Lord says about my circumstances. But I don't know about you. I want to be more than just flesh and bones and muscle and tendons. I want to be somebody that walks in the Spirit of God, that walks in the power of God, that walks in daily, not just on Sunday, but on Monday and on Tuesday, and I can speak to situations and circumstances, and the wind of God can come in and begin to blow over my life. Because watch, then he said to me, watch verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Oh, here it comes. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath. Now watch what he says, come breath from the four winds. Oh, circle that word, can you? The winds. And breathe into these slain that they may live. So as I prophesied, as he commanded me, and the breath entered them. And they came to life. Now they're not just dead corpses. The Bible says they came to life. And what did they stand up on their feet? And what did they look like? A vast army. A vast army that is on the move. 
A vast army that is no longer lying. A vast army that is no longer just corpses. A vast army that is no longer laying there just dead. He says, I prophesied. It was this word that in Hebrew, it means ruha. It's the wind. It's the spirit. It's the breath of God. We see the same word in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 17 when God forms Adam from the dust with his bare hands. And the Bible said that he, he breathed upon his nostrils. It's that same word that means breath. It's that same word that means wind that we see in Ezekiel, that we see in Genesis. It's that same word that we see in Acts chapter 2 that I'm going to show you because in a minute, God is going to show us that, that the breath of God is what brings us fear. The spirit or the spirit of God is what comes against the fear. The spirit and the breath of God is what allows us to begin to walk out. Paul wrote it like this in 2 Timothy 1 and 7. For God did just not give us a spirit of fear, but what did he give us? A power and of love and of sound mind. It's this spirit that we have available. It's his power. It's the breath. It's the wind of God. It's the good news from this graveyard that Ezekiel saw. Like in Zechariah 4, it said it's not by power. It's not by might. It's not just about what I say about my situation. It's not just about what he says about my situation. It's not by power. It's not by might, but it's by what? My spirit says the Lord. It's by his spirit that we're able to walk different. It's by his spirit that we're able to live different. It is the spirit, watch, that refreshes me. It is his spirit that empowers me. It is his spirit that guides and restores and protects and gives life. So this is why some of us still walk in. Watch, this is why some of us, we still walk in and yeah, we don't feel scattered. Yeah, we don't feel like we're all over the place in this valley. You're like, I got it together. I got the muscle. I got the tendons. I, I got the flesh on me. But we walk in and we feel so dried up in our lives, not because we don't have the Holy Spirit in our heart, but because our connection has grown weak. It's the wind of life that has taken the place of the wind of the Lord. It is the wind of worry that has taken a place, the wind of the Lord. It's the spirit of fear that has taken a place, the spirit of the Lord. It is the spirit of doubt. Come on, talk to me this morning. You've been there. And we found ourselves, right? But Ezekiel experiences something in this graveyard. It's the good news from this graveyard that he sees that the Spirit of God works. And as the Spirit of God quickens the, the, these bones, that things come together. And I know what you're thinking, but what does this have to do with me? Well, can I take you to another graveyard that we get some good news from? Can I take you to a graveyard? We're going to experience it in just a few weeks. We're going to experience this time that Jesus had come to this earth. He stretched out his arms on the cross. He died, and they put him in a tomb. They put him in a graveyard, and the disciples are distracted. They are dispersed. They don't know what to do and they're freaking out and these two ladies show up to the graveyard and what do they get? They get some good news from the graveyard because they see a tomb that it was sealed but they didn't see a tomb that is now open. They go in and they look for Jesus that was buried but they see he's not there. He's alive and the angel tells them, who are you looking for? We're going to talk about it in a few weeks. They said the person you're looking for is not here. He is alive. Why is that good news for me? Because Romans chapter 8 tells me this, that the same spirit Spirit that breathed life into him, the same spirit that brought him back from death, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ on the third day, it's the same spirit that I have available for me. It's the same power that I have available in my circumstances. It's the same power that I can speak and I can experience God in my life. And it's his spirit that allows me, watch, 
to walk out what he says I can have. And a lot of times we think it's up to me. Jesus says, it's my spirit. He said in John 16 and 7, he says, it's better for me to go than to stay. Because when I go, I'm going to send you a comforter. What's his his comforter? He says, I'm going to send you my spirit. And when my spirit comes, he's going to empower you. When my spirit comes, he's going to take what's dead. He's going to take what seems like it's just some corpses, and he's going to do something inside of you. And if I could take you to Acts chapter 2, one day the disciples, they're in the upper room. They don't know what they're waiting for. They just know Jesus said, wait. They don't know who he looks like. They just know he said he's coming. They find themselves scattered. They find themselves dispersed. They find themselves worrisome because they know Jesus is gone. He said he's sending a comforter. We don't know what happens, but in Acts chapter 2, what happens? The Bible says a wind. The breath of God begins to blow in that upper room. A wind a sound of the spirit begins to move in that room and the disciples that seemed dispersed the disciples that seemed like there was no hope suddenly the Holy Spirit fell on their life and began to move and a revival took place things begin to happen churches begin to be planted and he's the same spirit that's still at work today He's the same spirit that I can take on Monday to work with me. He's the same spirit I can walk out those doors on Tuesday on my school campus. He's the same spirit that I can look at my kids. I can look at my marriage. He's the same spirit that I can look at the valley of dry bones in my own life. And I can begin to prophesy to those bones. I can begin to prophesy to those situations and circumstances. And I can begin to say, spirit, blow life into my situations. Spirit, blow life into my marriage. Spirit, blow life into to our city and I can see life change. Why? When his spirit comes, life always happens. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at Pastor Phil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.